Welcome to MobiCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Something that was kind of funny that happened this week is on Twitter. So there's a guy named Patrick Steger. His handle is at Steger Patrick. And he was tweeting about Google Kubernetes engine raising its prices. He says, what's the problem with GKE raising their prices? Just switch to another cloud. That's the whole reason you're using Kubernetes anyway, right? Slash S, which means sarcastic. And so I had a lot of fun replying to that one. And I wrote, <laughs> oh, God, we're locked in. Oh, dear God. And so both Patrick and I got quite a few likes out of that one, more than my usual one or two from people that are charitable. Um, And so it reminded me of just uh, an episode we did on MobyCast quite a while back, actually. Episode number 14, all the way back in June 13th, 2018. And it's one I think about all the time. And it's called Stop Worrying About Cloud Lock-In. And um, because Cloud Lock-In just comes up all the time. Um, So anyway, Chris and I, we weren't able to get our stuff together this week and get an episode out. Um, We were at a conference, uh, actually a podcasting conference in Florida, Um, probably one of the last conferences uh, that wasn't canceled in this sort of round of COVID-19 cancellations. But hopefully we're both going to stay healthy these next few weeks after that conference. Um, So... I decided that we would just replay episode 14 and um, see if it still holds up. I think that it mostly does. There's, there's At the beginning, there's a part about uh, Fargate that is a little bit behind the times, especially some of Chris's comments about larger companies not getting good economics out of the cloud. At this point, all but the very small handful of the biggest companies in the world um, probably get better economics running their software in public clouds than they do in their own data centers. Um, so that one probably falls falls apart a little bit, but the, the second half of the episode is about that cloud lock-in, and uh, it's pretty much still very accurate here, you know, nearly two years later. So um, don't get locked in and enjoy one of my favorites from the original set of, of MobyCast episodes, the kind of early days when we were still figuring out who and what MobyCast is. In episode 14 of MobyCast, John and Chris explain why you should stop worrying about cloud lock-in. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another MobyCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to hear your voices. Um, so we've got a lot, of talk, a lot to talk about this week. I wanted to cover a little bit that we left on the table last week. And um, also some new stuff. So we're going to skip with the fun part where we talk about what we did this week and just jump right in. Um, So last week, we talked about serverless. And we mostly spent our time talking about Lambda. And then after after we finished recording, I was like, hey, Chris, I don't really know anything about Fargate, but it sounded really exciting. So So let me just say that to you again, but this time on air. Chris, I don't really know anything about Fargate, but it sounds exciting. Are we going to start using that? Hmm, that's a that's an interesting question, John. I haven't heard that one before. Um, <laughs> uh, 
it's interesting because um, it definitely builds on the whole serverless thing. Um, Fargate is essentially uh, serverless ECS. So currently with um, ECS is the orchestration platform uh, offered by Amazon for running your Docker containers on a cluster of, of EC2 nodes. We use that quite heavily and um, given that all of our software runs in containers. Fargate is something relatively new. It was announced at reInvent um, this past November. It had been in beta for a while. It's now actually it's now live um, in many in many region, in multiple regions. And what it is is it's um, basically all the benefits of ECS, but you no longer have to manage your your, your cluster nodes anymore. Um, it's basically here's my you basically say here's my container and AWS you take care of it. You you find the the hardware for it. You run my container, um, and I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about like scaling out a cluster or patching my servers or anything like that. So, so that sounds awesome. Why don't we just do that? <laughs> so it it does sound awesome if those those kind of problems that it solves were like actual real big problems. Um, and I would just say from the experience of of having used ECS in production now for two and a half years, I think it is. I can say that uh, one of the, the great benefits of ECS and, and containers in general has been that like the actual management overhead of, of dealing with your your cluster resources is, is actually really minimal. Um, I'm now at the point where I probably spend maybe once a month or maybe every other month doing some some maintenance on on my ECS the, the cluster resources, it's very little, it's very little overhead. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of time to get it set up, but even getting it set up, like once you um, just understand the, the details of how to do that, it's like, it's a half a day to, to go from, from zero to zero to hero um, <laughs> with ECS. Right. So um, as another example, like just, uh, you know, last week I ended, we have four different clusters set up in ECS all with many host nodes inside each one of those clusters. Um, wanted to upgrade to the latest um, AMIs um, to bring in new security patches, also get new ECS agent software on there, and then swap out some of our um, some of the stuff that we do in um, uh, initialization of, of host and our, and our user data script. So I ended up kind of making those changes. I basically... Shot every single one of those those hosts in the head. Shot every single one of those those hosts in the head. Rebuilt brand new ones, spun them all up, and that was probably a total of four hours to rebuild four clusters with brand new machines with all the latest and greatest. So, I don't know, four hours um, every two months, not much in the way of investment. And then the benefits of, of running your own ECS clusters are. Um, one is definitely more economical. Um, so Fargate is definitely, um, for the most part, it's going to be more expensive using Fargate than it is running it on um, your own uh, ECS cluster hardware. Which blew my mind when you said that because I thought, wait, if Amazon gets to decide how they use their hardware and they don't give you any access to it, then shouldn't that be cheaper? Can't they do some optimizations that lower prices? But apparently not. Yeah, and, and who who knows what the what the strategy is for for pricing and and whether this reflects the actual cost for them and it actually is more expensive that, for them to offer it this way. 
and uh, or if they're kind of viewing this as like, hey, we're adding um, more value here, and right. this is worth a, worth a premium, right? So we're, sure. we're pricing at a premium. So time will tell whether you know pricing comes down and and that inflection point happens where it's actually more affordable to run on Fargate than it is on your own dedicated hardware. But you can also do great things like your EC2, um, your ECS clusters can take advantage of spot instances um, and reserved instances. So there's lots of stuff you can do there. I'm sure that like if, if cost is your, is your issue um, you're, you're going to win out um, using a normal ECS as opposed to Fargate. You also have a lot more um, control and insight over like just the service um, capabilities of, of, of what's running on. So like, you know, what's the, do you have warm up time when spinning up containers in Fargate? Um, kind of like you do in Lambda. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Are you queued behind other folks? Like, is it um, other services? So like, are you going to get kind of a, a more um, jagged um, kind of response time pattern to, to your, to your jobs versus if you're running your own, your own cluster, like you know exactly what's kind of running on there and, and, and you can kind of you have much more insight into that. There's also issues with, you know, just application architecture and sidecar containers and logging and making sure all that works. And it's just for the time being, it feels like a lot of that, you just have a lot more control. It's a lot easier. It's a lot uh, more integrated when you're running it on uh, your own ECS cluster as opposed to Fargate. So this is a, that, that was like a downright commercial for ECS. We should get some primetime spot and put it on there. <laughs> but um, but that is a good segue into the next rest of our conversation, which which I, I think I'll call how I learned to stop worrying about cloud lock in and just do my job. So ECS is uh, obviously it's very specific to Amazon AWS, and if you use it, you know you're a little bit locked in, and all the other things that you might use on AWS lock you in further and further. But when I was at Glucon a few weeks ago, it was weird. You know, I, I brought this up a few weeks in a, in a couple of podcasts ago, but I just could not have a conversation with anybody that worked at a company um, of any size whatsoever and not have the idea of cloud lock-in come into the conversation. I was not even, I, I, I'm not interested in talking about cloud lock-in, but somehow everybody was talking about it. Every single talk featured it in some way. All these companies were talking about how they had features that um, in their products that help prevent cloud lock-in. And it was just like, it was, it, might as well call it the cloud lock-in comp. So I don't know, just to get to this conversation a little bit uh, and go a little deeper, maybe Chris, you can, you, when we talked about this before, you talked about one of the ways that, that people arrive, you know, leave the cloud, arrive at the cloud and leave the cloud. So maybe you can tell us that story again. Sure. Yeah. I would say, you know, for the most part, when um, when starting out, so whether you're a startup or kind of a, um, a, a new group with inside of a bigger company, um, taking advantage of, of cloud makes a lot of sense because it's you very quick startup time. Um, you know, you can you can have servers up and running in, in a matter of minutes as opposed to months um, if you have to go um, by your own. And also, just from a cost standpoint, it's so much more economical um, to to run that that workload in the cloud. And, you know, running in the cloud, you also get a lot of value-added services, all the various um, integration points and, and just all the features that, that are offered by, by all the modern cloud providers. So it ends up being a pretty fruital, uh, <laughs> fertile place to, you know, get going, ramp up, get to a, to a level of scale. Um, and I think for a lot of folks, like, they never get beyond, like, they never get to the point where it's like, 
they've grown, they've been so successful, they've grown so much where it now makes sense for them to think about getting off the cloud. Because there is an inflection point. At some point, you scale up enough, you're using enough resources in the cloud where you're now overpaying. And it's going to be much cheaper for you to actually re- to run it yourself, to go buy those servers and to have your own data center and to, to run it on-prem. Mm-hmm. So that's that inflection point. So if you get, if you do get successful enough, if you're running, you know, enough requests through your system, you have a, you know, have a high enough load to justify it, then that's when you take that hard look at it and say, you know what, it's time to have our migration strategy to start moving this off of the cloud and onto our own on-prem data center. But again, like we talked about before, like if you're at that point, like, like, I mean, you're so successful, the capital is there, like you're, and the financial incentive is there that you'll do it, right? It's hard work mm-hmm. and it's going to be, you know, and it's going to take a while, but like the financial incentive is there, the capital is there, you're going to do it. Um, so don't worry about lock-in from the get-go because it just complicates everything. And chances are it's never, it's not going to be an issue for you. And if it is, then that's, a, that's actually a great thing and you should be right. really happy about it. Right, and from that perspective, you know, cloud lock-in doesn't really matter because no matter which cloud you might have chosen, getting off the cloud, there, there's no AWS on-prem or Google Cloud on-prem or Azure on-prem. Like you literally have to decouple yourself from whichever cloud you chose. So, yeah, you, you've got to do that work no matter what. No amount, no strategy of of putting yourself on both Google and AWS would have helped you. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. I mean, there, there, there. There's a little bit of blending there where. Um, like AWS does have some stuff where like you can actually run their software on-prem, but it, sure. it always requires that tie-in. Like you're, you're still at the end of the day, you're, you're giving money to AWS. And mm-hmm. so to actually be fully divested from that. And yeah, obviously there's, there's the, you have to come up with that yourself. And so then there's another path. So that Chris just talked about the path where, uh, you're maybe a startup or you're a young company and, and you start in the cloud. And then there's this other path that I was seeing quite a bit at Glucon, which is, you know, lots of telecommunications companies, cable companies, healthcare companies, big companies, big, big, you know, kind of monopolistic almost types of companies where they've been on prem forever. And then they started to get really awful at it. Like, now it takes weeks to rec- requisition a new server, putting up in a, new, a new environment. And it's just like a headache involving 15 layers of management. Um, they just can't get anything done. And so they see the cloud as a way to get back to some level of agility. Um, and I think this, this does tend to affect a certain kind of company that maybe is not facing very much competition in their market. And they are able to, to get to this point without getting crushed by competitors that are more nimble and agile. But, you know, these companies, uh, they might be CenturyLink type companies or charter communications type companies. They now they want to get on the cloud and management all up and down the line is saying, well, make sure we don't get locked in. We don't want to have that happen to us again. And I wasn't sure they, they, you know, a lot of people had talked about being burned before. I, I, I should have dug more in. It, it was just kind of a matter of me not even being that interested in cloud lock-in and, and kind of realizing later that every conversation had involved it. I don't know how they actually got burned before. Like, you're still here. You're making a lot of money. Um, how is it that 
you were burned from some kind of lock-in in the past. Do you have any guesses of what that might have been, Chris? I mean, I'm just speculating at this point. You, you will be too. I, I, w- I would guess that um, it's just vendor lock-in in general, right? So like, these are all companies with, with, with probably long histories. Um, you know, lots of IT, they've, they've gone through many cycles of, of technology um, and dealt with many vendors. And they've just the length of time, absolutely they've they've worked with vendors before that then go belly up right and then right. they have to scramble so this is very much a, a a strategy for 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 reducing risk right to, sure. don't you know don't have a single dependency have backups um and you know multiple multiple vendors providing that 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 particular functionality that you need um so that if one does go away or if one does you know, raise prices um, to a level that you're not comfortable with, and then you have options. So I, I think probably that's where that's coming from. Right. I think you're right. So let's crush that notion. Quick interruption to ask you to please go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up for our show notes. Those give us a chance to send you the show notes once a week. Um, they're detailed outlines that have all the information that we present in the show, which makes your email searchable really cool. And we definitely don't use that address to spam you. In fact, we can barely remember even to send out the show notes every week. So thanks for signing up. What is more, in your opinion, Chris, what is more risky? Having a strategy of deploying to multiple clouds with the same functionality or picking a cloud for those types of companies? Yeah. I mean, I think just for almost any company, I think like the idea of like building a system that can actually run in a hybrid cloud environment is so complicated. It's so much overhead and chances are it's just, it's not going to work optimally. Um, it definitely won't work optimally. I'm very skeptical of that. And whether it works at all, even if it works adequately, it would be um, a challenge in and of itself, I think. Um, so I, I would say there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's probably a lot of risk there as opposed to, you know, just forget about like th- these companies are so big that I think that the so the two concerns might be okay pricing is going to be um, so unfavorable that like it feels like robbery um, or they're just not going to be available anymore they're they're going to go out of business and so I think you just have to look at your your cloud provider and really ask yourself like how likely is that going to happen so Amazon as a company they don't make much money right like they they've definitely prioritized on on growing their market. And I, I mean, they're going to make money based upon volume. So their idea is, is, is land and expand. So I don't see them, I don't see a lot of risk in them saying, okay, you know, we're going to go and double, triple, quadruple pricing um, for folks, um, you know, type thing. It just does not feel like that's in their, their DNA and, and kind of what they're, sure. what they're trying to do. And it also, it would, it would harm their business. Like yeah. they would, they would, they would see a dramatic downturn. And for them, it's all about scale, right? Like they're making such huge investments in data centers and, and computer equipment and whatnot. If, if they see a, a fall off in usage, then they have a bunch of stuff just sitting around not being used. And that's fairly costly. So it's not going to behoove them to go, to go raise prices and alienate customers. And then for them, like going out of business, like, like really, again, like ask yourself, like how likely is that to happen? If, if AWS went out of business, Forget it. Like our, our economy has just collapsed. Like mm-hmm. there's much bigger problems than your company, right? <laughs> At that <laughs> right. point. Right. <laughs> I mean, it literally, like it's, that would be like, I mean, just think about that. Like if AWS went away, like what would happen? Like 
it would be like the equivalent of like just setting off a bomb, um, you know, in a, in a, in a major financial center or something like that. Yeah. And just to pick on one thing that you talked about there a minute ago, you said, you know, it can't run optimally. So I just started to imagine what might you try to architect that's multi-cloud that runs across clouds. So the first thing that came to my mind was, well, maybe you have some microservices and they're in Node.js and you, and you put them on Kubernetes clusters and you've got a Kubernetes clusters over, cluster over in Google Cloud and another one in, in AWS. And then the first thing that came to my mind is, well, where's the database? If you're going to have a persistent store, is that going to be on the AWS side or is it going to be on the Google side? Um, whichever it's on, the other one is not going to be able, you know, it's going to suffer from some latency issues. So that, that was one thought that occurred to me. And then, and then the other thought that occurred to me was, okay, well, so let's say, you know, we just, we say each microservice has to live in its own cloud. So, but we're going to, we're going to sprinkle our microservices around. So these two microservices will be on Google and these two microservices will be on AWS. Um, again, if those, if those microservices need to talk to each other, there could be some weirdness and, and latency issues and you won't get to take advantage of certain security things that you get, like VPCs and things like that. Um, but also, uh, now you just have to have teams that are, that are knowledgeable about both. I mean, at one level, it may seem like it's just compute and it's just, um, you know, DNS and load balancing. But each one of those clouds, even if you're using Terraform, um, you have to know that, you know, you have to know something about the API, something about how to navigate the, the management console, something about specifically how it works and how monitoring works and everything. Like you just more, you know, more than doubled the, the requirements on your staff in terms of what they need to understand in terms of how their infrastructure runs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you touch, I mean, there's just multiple facets there of like the complexity of saying, I want to run in a hybrid cloud environment. So it's application architecture is big. It becomes a big issue. Like how do I do that? Um, For some of the, the exact same scenarios you just talked about, there is the, just the operational ability of it. Like monitoring is going to be different in, in Azure, then it's going to be in um, AWS, right? So sure. you have to kind of build that abstraction on top of that to, to give you that insight um, as a whole. And then you have all these cloud providers, like totally different, right? Like I'm seven plus years of AWS experience and I'm still trying to keep up and learn about AWS. Like <laughs> throw Azure on that and throw Google Google Cloud on that. And it's like, whoa, that's a lot, right? Like you, you need to hire more people. So right, um, right. It's it's in all in the name of saying like I'm not going to be locked into a cloud provider. Like that's when you have to kind of take a step back and say, it's what, what's the what's the what's the worst evil here? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And now having said all this, and having made a strong case, I think that we shouldn't be worried about cloud lock in. There is a reality that people are, and and as as fascinating as we might be, and and as per, as persuasive as we might try to be, we can't convince them to not worry about this. And companies are are putting it, at, you know, at the top of the list of things that they're concerned about. Um, so I think that just just realizing that this is happening and realizing that this is a hot topic is kind of important. And and I think it'll have an interesting effect on the market. You know, my my opinion is that this will have a, a commoditizing effect on the market. And I think we're already seeing it today. It'll make APIs more standard across clouds. It'll make the names of things and the hierarchies of, of features more standard. So it could have overall benefits to everyone, uh, this market pressure. Your thoughts, Chris? Maybe, although I, 
you know, in, in this landscape with AWS being the clear leader, um, and know that they know that both Google and, and Microsoft are, you know, breathing down their neck. They want to try to get a market share on them. I, I just don't see how like Amazon sees it to their advantage to kind of work together with those to facilitate that stuff. So I, I just see people like Amazon innovating faster and faster and, the others playing catch up. Right. And so to then try to try to have kind of like industry standards for these things to interoperate, like it becomes, it becomes an intractable problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's also a good way of looking at it. So yeah, we'll, we'll have this conversation again a year from now and see what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I think that, the, that that's probably good. I think we can wrap it up with that. I, I, maybe let me give you one more chance to, to kind of put a cap on it, Chris. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, maybe the takeaway is definitely, um, I, my suggestion would be don't worry about cloud lock-in. Um, it's when it becomes an issue, like you're going to have the resources to go deal with that. The other thing, like if, if it really is like something that's, that's concerning and you need it, um, just as part of an organizational buy-off, I think maybe the, the best approach to that would be to, Use the proper level of abstraction such that you can have a backup data center in a different cloud provider. So don't try to run it concurrently. Instead, just go build your application for one and have it hosted in a one cloud provider. Know what things that are cloud specific that you are using. Those are the things that you would then look at abstracting out um, so that if you did need to say, okay, I'm not using that cloud provider, I'm going to another one, you could do it. But that would be, again, like it's, it's a lot of work. But if, if that's what you need from an organizational standpoint, then that would be the, my suggestion for going about it. Great. Yeah, great suggestion. And uh, thanks again. This has been a fun one. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England, and I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast. 